Welcome back to Tastemakers. This is your host, Jim, and I just wanted to give you a quick uh, quick little intro into what this episode is going to cover today. Uh, we have a topic that's a little bit near and dear to me and my friend Clinton's heart uh, as we discuss mental health and suicide prevention and awareness. This is uh, something that isn't to be taken lightly. It's something that's definitely important in our culture and in our community as the city continues to grow uh, and just in general in life. So I hope you can take a minute and listen. Uh, we've segmented this in two separate parts. So there is a quick intermission in the middle of our podcast today. Uh, but maybe you can, uh, you know, block out two separate times at work or really whatever it is and just give it a listen. So hope you enjoy. And uh, I really hope that uh, this can touch some people that might need to hear uh, about this topic. So thank you. Uh, welcome back to Tastemakers. Uh, this is Jim here, your host, and I'm sitting with the one, the only, Clinton Foppel. One and the only. The one and the only. The I don't me- think the metric version. I don't think I've met any other person that's as cool as you are with oh, gray hair. Oh man, that! I'll tell you, I'm going to buy the next drink. This is fantastic. Fair enough. Yeah. Another, another glass of water. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so, for those that don't know, Clinton runs a local nonprofit mm-hmm. uh, with an emphasis in suicide awareness and mental health um, awareness. Uh, so Clinton, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, what mm-hmm. you do, uh, what your passion really is, uh, here in the city. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm 23 years old. <laughs> okay. And, let's uh, be real. Okay. I might be a little older. Uh, I'm happily married for 15 years, uh, to a Hoosier. I'm from Western Canada. So if I talk funny, it's cause I'm from the Calgary, Alberta area near the Iraqi mountains. Um, four wonderful kids, uh, love being a dad, love being a husband, um, but yeah, I'm in the nonprofit sector. Had I've I've had a, a, a just an incredible run. You know, I've been working with kids since 1989, and then uh, moved to the U.S. Uh, three days after 9/11, which is a totally different podcast. Uh, got introduced to inner city work for three or four years. Met my wife. She was uh, Indianapolis based at the time, and uh, once we got. Uh, uh, married, it became clear that her parents wanted to have a family closer to the Fort Wayne area where they were from. So we moved up here, took a job, and uh, I started Remedy um, as a co-founder in 2007. So yeah, it's um, every day we just try to do everything we can using technology and uh, online chat center to help people of all ages know that there's someone available. They're not alone. Awesome. And why is that something that you care so much about? Is it, is it something that's been near and dear on a personal level or is it something that you've experienced? Yeah. Uh, I mean, mental health and suicide for the longest time have been taboo topics to discuss. Well, you know, Jim, we all have mental health. You know, we, we have physical health, we have mental health. We, we just don't, we just don't talk about that side because, um, if I mentioned to you that I have mental health issues, you would just assume that I have thoughts of hurting somebody or hurting myself or blowing up a building or doing something that's demonic. <laughs> you know, we demonize these people. And the truth of it is we all have mental health. We all, we all have mental illness at, at some level. Um, I had a sore throat last night. <laughs> you know, we have physical illness. Right. So, um, but the reason why I'm involved in this and why I'm so passionate about it is that because when I was a kid, my mom collected dads or for me, husbands for herself. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of, I had five stepdads growing up. Oh, wow. And, um, they were all abusive to my mom. I shouldn't say all they were, One of them was, was a really decent man, but they were, the rest of them are pretty abusive. And I wasn't, uh, somebody that would have understood mental health when I was that age, but it sure marginalized me, and I escaped into drugs and alcohol at the age of 11, started using then. And so the reason why I do what I do now is because my heart is deeply connected to that kid that believes that no one cares. No one's there. Um, and I just don't want that for anyone. I want everyone to feel like they can have a conversation regardless of who they are. So, Do you think conversation is one of the main uh, catalysts to addressing this topic? Just oh, open, absolutely, being real with people. Yeah. Doing what we're doing right now, yeah. You know, Mike's Mike's excluded. Of course, we could sit down, uh, and I would ask you a few questions, and I would I would go straight to the point. You know, um, tell me how you feel when uh, when you're by yourself. Uh, uh, is the silence deafening? Uh, does your mind race about things that you can't control? 
I find that with men especially, our, our identities wrapped up so much in we're human doings, not human beings. You remove the doing, you lose your job, you get sick, um, you know, you lose you lose something. Um, men have a tendency to go deep into depression and um, the secret world where they build their own solutions of escape. And uh, so I think conversations are key to, to us getting the hope and the help that we need when we're st- struggling with mental illness. Um, because you know, once I speak it, it might be the very first time my ears have ever heard it no, myself. It's- it's interesting. You say men in particular, mm-hmm. um, and doing some of the reading I've been reading about like screen time, mm-hmm. um, Indiana in particular into mental health and suicide, uh, ages 40, uh, what is that? 45 to 54 has the highest rate of suicide in Indiana from 2011 mm-hmm. to 2015. Yeah. I'm sure those numbers have changed a little bit. Um, but what, and I think you said it and I would tend to agree about we're doers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think that that age range in particular makes it the highest rate? Is it people stop doing at that age or? Well, it's, you know, it, it's a little bit different than a midlife crisis, but there's a lot of similarities. It's a crisis of who am I? Am I happy? Um, am I proud of what I've done with my life? Uh, your life's half over at that point for mm-hmm. most individuals mm-hmm. with the average age of being just under 80. Um, so you start to question, um, you start to have, you start to be haunted by regret, uh, and that's just normal people. <laughs> now, right. we're, not, we're not even talking about those that actually have, you know, chemical issues of mental illness, which is a real thing. You know, um, I'm so proud of celebrities like The Rock who come out and talk about his struggle with mental health because he is a glaring uh, question mark as to why a guy with a deep bank account, good looks, uh, the ability to lift a house. <laughs> How could he possibly have a struggle with mental health? Isn't mental illness just for people that live in trailers and don't have money and are, are, are coming from really poor families? And no, the, there's no face of mental health. Mm. So um, men specifically struggle at that age because they have to look in the mirror and ask, who am I? And sometimes they don't like the answer. Um, yes, they lose their jobs because... Maybe there's a younger, more skilled workforce, or maybe they lose their jobs because they don't know how to communicate uh, properly to a to a, a growing uh, industry. And, and let's let's be honest, we're becoming um, such a social social media focused workforce now that mm-hmm. people that don't know how to use a smartphone the way that uh, you know the average millennial does sometimes can be told they don't longer need it at the job, whether it's a salesperson or whether it's someone that's um, involved in some other way. So there's a lot of reasons why that age group is, is uh, under attack there. But um, I know one of the conversations I was having is it's you've at that age, it seems to be that that's, you've attained everything that you can in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost becomes cruise control from that point out. Sure. And so for specifically men being the doers or, Tending to be doers, mm-hmm. uh, it's what else is there? You yeah, know, I've, that's a great I've done question. everything. That's a great question. And what is there to do? And and why am I not happy with what I have? Because I, people that take their life again, um, can be extremely wealthy. Um, and the question mark is why would someone with a deep bank account? Because that's supposed to bring happiness, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it comes down to the uh, age old question: Why am I here on earth? Mm-hmm. You know, is there anything bigger than me? Mm-hmm. You know, that might give my life meaning. Um, and then the, the humility uh, for men, which is, doesn't come naturally for us guys, mm-hmm. the humility to say, if there is something bigger than me, what is it mm-hmm. and how can I find it? You know, I look at, uh, individuals like the late Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the dream job of an individual like myself, I would yeah. love to travel the world and eat all travel, the food, eat, yeah. dine with Mr. Obama and yeah. you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, yet here's a man who has the world at his fingertips, literally. Yeah. And Let's it go. Yeah. No, I think that's a sad, it's a sad uh, example. And yet it's perfectly illustrated that um, popularity doesn't bring happiness. Money doesn't bring happiness. Even the dream job doesn't bring happiness. If you don't know why you've been created to do the dream job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, this is, I think, uh, again, an age old question. It's got one part spiritual, but one part practical. Um, are we isolating ourselves? You know, men are <laughs> very isolation based uh, species animal. We, we, 
yeah, we like to go to bars and drink with our buddies, but do we ever talk about things that really matter? Now, maybe with a few beers, we might. <laughs> but we sure don't talk about it the next day. We, in fact, never bring it up again if we did open up. I, I've had so many deep conversations with uh, um, the animal known as the hockey player mm-hmm. uh, in a bar with a few beers under a belt and the things that they say about their struggles in life. Um, but don't dare talk to me about that tomorrow when we're sober, you know, and I think that's, what's going to change in our culture is, um, is that we have to be okay to be not okay. Interesting. And I, you know, I think some of that is changing with the younger generation. I think you're right. And there is a little bit of it where screen time, uh, social media does have a play in a, in a different way for mental health. Yeah. Um, but just looking at generations past and, uh, conversations I've had with more experienced and seasoned generations, we'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, it it is, good. thank you. That was very kind. I try every <laughs> now and then, uh, every now and then it's, it's almost like the older, more seasoned generations were taught that you, you, you deal with it inside. You just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more of my generation being in that millennial, uh, realm, whether it's online mm-hmm. or in person, uh, is being more and more willing to have a conversation is yeah. being more and more willing to share, uh, what's going on or they do look for. Hey, let's go grab coffee and see how you're doing. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing some of the same things from? I am. Uh, I'm seeing the willingness to have the conversation. Um, I'm perplexed, though, by um, what's happening with uh, military men. You know, most of the men right now that um, are being deployed or coming home with PTSD would be under 35 years of age. And Although they're having conversations, and oftentimes they're having conversations with other uh, people from you know the military, there seems to be still something missing. And what what I'm as a non you know military guy, I'm having I'm asking a lot of my friends that have been deployed and people that have have gone overseas and been in battle, and it's a really hard thing to to be able to define because although conversations are occurring it seems like it's kind of a misery likes company problem. Mm. And so, you know, I think with mental health, mental illness, because it is so focused, this is the supercomputer, right? You know, if I have a bad knee, that's a different story, but because my brain, if it's unhealthy, then I can't think straight. I can't live straight. I think that we have to make sure that um, we are doing all that we can to provide positive next steps to people. And those things can happen in conversations, but we can't just sit and talk about things in such a way that um, every time we get together, it's about you know how much we don't like this or we don't like that or something that we're struggling with. I think it's got to be accountability. What are you going to do this week? What, what can I help you do this week? Now, that's a scary word for a lot of people. <sighs> it is. Um, I mean, they're already accountable if they're married to their families, but mm-hmm. how do you become accountable to somebody that you're sharing these struggles with? Sure, because that if, if we're truly accountable, if I'm accountable to you, that means... You have permission to call me out. You have you, you're asking, you're expecting complete honesty, um, and you're you're gonna. I'm gonna give you the freedom to kick me in the butt if I don't do what I say I'm gonna do. Um, humility is not something that comes naturally for men. It's a, a really hard thing. It hasn't been modeled for a lot of men, first of all, but second of all, humility often equals weakness. Um, from a cultural perspective, and it doesn't actually mean that at all. I think true humility is the strongest kind of man, strongest kind of man you can be, because mm. that's a servant leader, you mm-hmm. know. And that's what I think we're all to be as husbands and fathers, anyway. Mm. And so we've been talking a lot about uh, the men's side of things and the yeah. men's side of mental health and suicide prevention. One of the other stats that we pulled up was uh, males in Indiana, in particular, accounted for seventy nine point four percent of all suicides in mm-hmm. Indiana, and that's from two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen. Sure. That's a pretty high male percentage. Um, part of the things I wonder is what what is some of the struggle that you've seen on the f- the female, the women's side of things? Yeah. Uh, while the percentage might be lower, the struggle is still just as real. I think the, the the what that stat tells me is that women might um, be less prone to take their lives than men. Uh, men will use violent methods by which to do it, which unfortunately has a higher rate of completion because uh, there's fewer options for mistake. Um, whereas women, um, in, in the case of Remedy Live, 
a larger percentage of our clients are women because they mm. will talk about their stories more. They will talk about their struggles more. Now, they will stay sadly orbiting that struggle for a lot longer because there is something that's um, very attractive to a woman to share with other women their struggles. Uh, but oftentimes, um, that struggle keeps them stuck. That's the word we use. It keeps them stuck versus making those steps. Men, if this is done properly, men can motivate other men if it's true accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's harder for women because they get caught up a little bit more in the emotionalism of the relationship. I'm not saying that they can't be motivated to be accountable, but it's just a little bit harder. Um, uh, but they still, sadly, you know, based on the stat you shared, they still obviously have uh, uh, different ways of completing a suicide that maybe not be as violent, but still sadly as devastating for the families left behind. Mm-hmm. And one of the other stats, I don't, I don't necessarily have it written here, um, and you can find this on uh, government websites, uh, and you mentioned that men tend to take a more violent route, which is a mm-hmm. little bit more successful, whereas uh, women have tended to take uh, less violent and you know, coincidentally less, uh, sure, sure proof. Oftentimes they'll survive. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that I was talking to a local, uh, businesswoman and, uh, she's a leader of her company and uh, CEO. And one of the things that she was saying is that it seems to her, uh, that women have this ability to bond and, um, almost create a movement together. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you were saying men tend to, you know, isolate a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. Uh, she brought up examples in culture, uh, specifically with things like the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Would you? Would you? Have you seen that as well? And yeah, but again, I think that the ingredient of an action plan for health, for positivity, um, to get out of the spiral of being stuck is the key. So yes, mm-hmm. I too, I you know, with Me Too as an example, um, women sharing their stories about ways that they have gone through abuse or harassment or whatever. It isn't just a bunch of women talking about how awful men have been to them. It's women talking about it and choosing to take the steps to heal from those step, those things that have gone on. And mm-hmm. I think the same thing has to be with mental health. Women are far more prone to be great in regards to creating a revolution around this if, indeed, they come up with solutions for you know um, other women. Uh, I think the solution is the same in both cases. I think it's that accountability. I think it's the choice to... Um, to do things that help us um, as a collective community, i.e. Uh, doing this um, in a way that uh, grabs those people we care about, pulls them into this and says, I care too much about you to see you st- struggle mm-hmm. uh, in isolation or see you struggle with the issues that you struggle with. But um, yeah, Indiana is unique um, for a lot of, I don't know if you know this, but Indiana leads the nation Uh, typically each year, and I'm not not always number one, not always number two, but in that top five for for suicidal ideation, especially Mm -hmm. among young people. Can you define what that might mean for... So um, people that think about suicide. Mm -hmm. So we we don't lead the nation, thank goodness, on people that take their lives, but we lead the nation in many regards at the top uh, with people that just don't feel that there's any hope. Um, Indy Star uh, released an article in 2017, a couple different articles actually saying that you know, rural Indiana teenagers feel more hopeless than anywhere else in the country. And that could be economic. Um, that could be the fact that we've got some children, some teenagers that are more mature than their parents because their parents have maybe struggled and they've gotten involved in drugs or some of the issues that we've seen with opiates. Um, but the reality is um, hopelessness is something that is um, very common in our state. So what we can do um, is to talk about that. Why is that? Because mm-hmm. uh, no one really has a good answer. I have a theory that we're a, a conservative people here and we don't talk about certain things. Um, so maybe that's the reason why people isolate and become hopeless because the only thing that really changed hopelessness, hopelessness is to come in with hope and change it. Um, but uh, we really do have some things that um, are unique to our part of the country because of our more conservative nature, for sure. Hmm. And being in a more conservative state and not, I mean, some of those conversations are taboo. I had a conversation this week preparing for this interview, and uh, it was interesting to hear in, in conversation even, uh, oh, yeah, this is about mental health, that about mental health. And then as soon as you go to the other topic, mm-hmm. the voice lowers. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, and suicide. Yeah, that's it, right. It's it. I don't understand how we're ever going to get to a point where yeah. we can talk about this in the public square. Sure. Well, there is a, uh, um, 
I don't know the mindset, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. There's a mindset that um, if I talk to you about suicide, either you're going to think I am going to take my life, therefore I'm crazy. Or if you're an adult and you're talking to a young person about suicide, you're going to place that thought in their brain. And now they're going to take their life. And both are just ridiculous. Um, in fact, if you let's say that you had a plan that, that next week you have already figured out how you're going to take your life, but you've never told anybody about it, which is 99% of the people that take their life don't tell anyone. They leave hints here and there. But if I said to you, um, Jim, do you have thoughts of taking your life ever? What we have learned through research is that the moment that I ask that question, you in your heart will say, this is the chance. This is the life raft. This is, this is the hope I've been hoping for. I'm going to share that I have been struggling. I might not share the plan yet, but I'm going to share that, yeah, sometimes I struggle. And if I'm well-trained, that's going to take you and I down a deeper conversation where we might unpack that plan. And then the date. And, and, and it's going to give me the chance to be able to save your life. But that can only happen if I ask you the question about suicide. So we, we need to have more conversations like that um, because those those kinds of conversations, and I have them with my children, not to the specifics of, of a plan, but I say to them often um, when I notice that they're down, um, are you feeling down lately? Have you had, um, my, my son and I just talked about depression today for the first time. He's never asked this before. Dad, what is depression? He heard me talking about it. Actually, to prepare to come see you. Oh, wow. And um, and I said, it's it's when your brain becomes um, so sick that you don't want to be with anybody else. You don't want to do things like you used to do. And I said, Duke, do you ever get depressed? And he says, nope. <laughs> but now that he's eight um, and we've had that conversation, it'll be a lot easier next time to just ask him because he now knows yeah. there's a precedent. So Interesting uh, conversation, you know, paves the way for that, especially at an early age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in particular, one of the things that I was curious, and I think a lot of people would be, is what are some of the practical ways to have these conversations? I mean, we both agree it's taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I I personally think it's through creating relationships and deepening those relationships. Yeah. Um, and then really getting a pulse at where they're at. Yeah. Uh, but that can't cover everybody. Sure. You know, that can't uh, the person that you meet twice mm-hmm. uh, become friends with. And then next thing you know. Yeah. It's it's a hard thing. You're right. Because um, I think if we're going to be honest, most of us do categorize our friendships, you know, between people that we spend time with just hanging out with at work and people that we socialize with and the people maybe that we go to church with or people that we do more life things with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, um, uh, I think we've all met people that once we've met them, we felt like we've had a remarkable encounter. You know, like we've met somebody that is different than others. And I think that difference is the individuals in our life that we know truly are, are they care about what we're going through or what we're talking about in that moment. And uh, I've had conversations with people that have been one and two different conversations, not lengthy by any means, but I could tell by the way they asked the question that if I were, if I were struggling and I were to open up about that, um, they would give me the time needed. So to answer your question, I think, we have to be the kind of society, the kind of people, the kind of person that asks how are you and really means it and be and be willing to spend the time to unpack that further. Do you think American culture is willing to spend that time? Nope. I think that we're we've got 168 hours in a week and they're all full or at least we think they are. We spend probably 8 hours a day scrolling through Instagram on this thing. Um some of us uh have numbed our brain through other different things that we do just to make sure that we can get through the life that we've got. So it, it takes a, a radical um, kind of self-inventory to ask the question, how am I doing? And how can I get to a place where I can feel more open with my spouse, with my my closest friends? And um, to ask that question even of myself as I look in the mirror, how am I doing? Again, that's what the 50-year-old men are doing, and they don't like the answer. Mm-hmm. You can. You don't have to like the answer. I don't like the answer sometimes either. So what do I do on Wednesday mornings with my buddy Derek? I tell him how I don't like the answer. Uh-huh. And then Derek kicks my butt and says, well, what's some things you can do to change? And what can I do to make sure that we change together? And then uh, almost always, it's a catalytic thing. Once I start talking about how I'm not happy with my temper, 
he'll open up about something he's going through. And that's, I think, what men like to do is to maybe compete a little bit. So we're talking about our stuff. And uh, by the end of the breakfast, we feel a whole lot better, a lot lighter, a lot freer, and uh, more committed to supporting each other. That's uh, interesting. You also mentioned the phone and screen time rolling Mm -hmm. through Instagram. Um, there's a, a lot of books out, one in particular, you actually let me borrow, uh, iGen. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed in reading through, uh, the author routinely shows data that correlates increased time spent on social networks and screens in general. Uh, and it correlates it with increased anxiety, depression levels, and feelings of loneliness. Yeah. Um, so in general, what do you have to say about that? And is that why you're big on using technology the way that you do? Yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, a good it's question. A little bit of a qu- coincidental yeah. thing, right? Yeah. But I'm I'm more so interested in, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up in the smartphone era. We yeah. had computers, and you know, mm-hmm. I played games on the computers. Still went outside. Yeah. Um, but more so now, we're seeing kids where they'd rather spend time in their bedroom, you know, on Snapchat and Instagram, yeah. watching Netflix, yeah. than going out to the park with their friends. Yeah, you know, to your point, um, teen pregnancies down but it's because kids aren't actually spending time together having sex. They're, right. they're sexting more than ever before, but they're not actually together. So um, we have a generation that is spending a lot more time on their screen, a lot more time independent of others, isolated. So your question about, um, or what, what the author points out in iGen, I think, I think you've got a lot of things going on there. I think you've got um, mental health um, or mental illness, depression is caused maybe one part by the fact that when you compare yourselves to everybody else that you're looking at on Facebook and and Instagram and every other social media app, you can begin to not like your life so much. Um, and she quotes a lot of different studies where uh, people's overall happiness with their one only life takes like a huge decline from 2012 to current because wow. of how easy it was to get a smartphone and the family plan for everyone in your family. Um, the average age to get your first smartphone in America is 10.7 years of age. Are you serious? That's, that's just the stats out there. 10 years old. 10 years old. So just do the math on how the brain's affected. So the other part of that equation, if it's not me scrolling through and saying I'm not as pretty as her, I'm not as, as handsome as him, I'm not as, why don't I have an Escalade? Why don't I have all these things that seem to bring happiness? Now, you and I both know it took 20 pictures to get that one perfect selfie. Right. To a forming child brain, they don't actually think abstract like that. They mm. see the person and they say, why am I not that happy? So that's the first side of it. The second side of it is what the screen's actually doing. It's, it's you know, I compare it kind of to a microwave oven. It's uh, the screen, the, the, the focus, the staring, the eyes, the, 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 the hue of the, the color of the, of the temperature of the screen. Um, studies now showing there's a really great article on psychologytoday.com that talks about how the brain, the gray matter of the frontal lobe is literally shrinking from too much screen use. Now there's moderated screen use where a half an hour to an hour a day, you might pop in and off of different social media apps. I'm talking about what we just referenced when a child for four to five hours is scrolling, scrolling, staring, snapping, taking photos, playing games, whatever. Now, this might be a dumb question. Is some of that relative to the screen size? I know uh, in her book, she also references, you know, there was being outside and then it went to watching the television mm-hmm. and now it's to watching the phone. Coincidentally, all of that shrinks down to the size of your pocket. Yeah, I, I, I haven't thought about it that way, but that makes that makes more sense. It's also a lot more personal because you never sat, uh, you know, three feet away from a TV generally or, or mm-hmm. three, however long it, how, however long my arm is. <laughs> but um but it's a lot more intimate. And I always tell parents when I do my workshops, uh, this isn't a phone to a 14 year old. This is not a phone. This is an extension of my expression. This is me. This is a mirror. This is a, a, a speaker. This is a microphone. This is me telling the world who I am. You know, it's interesting in uh, culture now being in the media realm, being, you know, uh, oddly enough, working in social media, mm-hmm. how often it's preached that this, this device, this iPhone, this Android tablet, whatever it is, uh, it's one of two things. It's your it's your tool for brand recognition because you are your own brand now. Yeah, yeah. Um, which in the corporate workplace, it, it makes some sense. You sure. know, you have to represent yourself well if you're going to be online. Yeah. Um, be careful what you're putting out there. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's also the new uh, ABC, the new NBC, the new CNN. Yes. Uh, it's the way media is consumed, and mm-hmm. it's also the way that media is created. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, all those things are true, and um, it's easy for us to sit around, especially when it's our business. 
and justify how we do things. You know, back to your question earlier about why Remedy Live uses technology to complete our mission when we've just shared, I've just shared how much data there is out there now that technology is destroying the brains of kids. Um, if I had my way, no kid would ever show up to Remedy Live. Um, we hope that, that no one would click our Google ads around suicide. And we would hope that when I do uh, school events, we would never have students struggling with these mental health issues. But what we chose to do is say, we're going to run into the burning building. We're going to be courageous. And yes, we'd rather that technology not be the number one way that kids communicate, but it is. So if you want to help people in Paris, you better learn French. We're just trying to do our best to, to, to use the language of today. But you need to know that once we're in those conversations, it's not just a, a simple uh, photo sent back and forth or something trite about a a game. It's it's the, the the hard reality. These conversations that remain alive about life and death and about suicide plans and about um, trusted adults in their their lives and giving them the courage to take and own their future. And uh, those things are a little bit different than your average text message. Now, I want to stick on uh, the technology and the iPhones in particular mm-hmm. a little bit here. You you mentioned the gray matter and. Yeah, uh, your front was the frontal frontal lobe, yeah. yep, which controls a lot of really important things. Well, and that's what I want to get at: is what are some of the side effects that research is starting to show? Yeah, it's it's terrifying. You know, the, on the one side, it's uh, it's messing with a a person's ability to prioritize, um, to be able to to put together a plan. You know, to be able to attack something that they're that they're dealing with. But the thing I think that's most uh, fascinating and sad all at the same time is. Um, the center for empathy and compassion shrinks. Hmm. And so if you compare the decline of, of that center of the brain, whereas I, I'm not as empathetic, I'm not as compassionate. And you compare that to the increase of bullying and cyberbullying and hurtfulness and all the unbelievably, I call them um, verbal grenades that are thrown by kids today. It makes sense. Um, my brain is literally broke and it doesn't give me the ability to care about anybody else other than myself. Um, the frontal lobe also has a lot of, of that uh, reward center, that dopamine, that natural neurochemical that we have uh, that rewards us. And if you keep rewarding over and over and over and over with screen time, uh, sooner or later you need more and more and more and more of that, and you can't get it always. So one of the things that's uh, interesting about screen time, in my opinion, is you, I find, and my wife and I have had conversations, my friends and I have had conversations, uh, you always tend to want to be somewhere else. Mm. Uh, it, it used to be back in the day, you know, you talk about the people, or even if you don't like the dude in class, yeah, yeah. you can just talk about him, he's not there. Yeah. Well, now you can just pull it out of your pocket, and in a little, you know, one by one square, yeah. they're right there, and you can see what they're doing. Sure. So it's ever-present and sure. always on your mind. Yeah. Um, That's one side of it. And there's also this other evil part of it, that there's courage behind a keyboard. So we're saying things that I would never say to you, Jim, but, but if you really bothered me, I might say something, especially if it can be anonymous, just to throw it at you. So the argument that I've heard that might be made, um, and I can see some merit to it is, well, isn't that just people really being real? Hmm. I don't think so. Um, I think, yes, we, we think it. Um, so that's probably the real part of it. I think the the difference is is that we've seen a gigantic shift, uh, especially within North American culture, with just the basic thing like a golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody wants to be assassinated on social media, Mm-mm. and yet people assassinate people every day. You know, um, and I'm just I'm just thinking like generally, um, athletes. You know, they make a mistake on the on the court or on the ice, and uh, you just watch the posts um, of just hurtful, awful things said about them. Uh, we didn't used to be that mean. We would say things maybe about about people, but I think what's happening is, is that we've gone from, and this is actually connected to the hope dialogue a little bit, we've gone from, from being a, a country that actually has a, a caring concern for everyone at, at some level to, to a country that really doesn't seem to care at all. And it's there's no desire to really hope for the best for somebody, um, and uh, it's kind of a, a every man for himself, you know, survival of the fittest kind of mentality. No, it's a sad thing coming from generations where they really did stand on each other's shoulders and for each other. Yeah, wait, uh, wait, you're right, absolutely. You know, I think of recent events um, in the news with 
um, the late George Bush passing away, and so mm-hmm. many people said in 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 the news about you know he was the last of a great generation of presidents and leaders in our country, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's still others. But my point that I took away from that is you know. There was a generation that, although they had their flaws, they didn't talk about everything the way that mm-hmm. we do. Um, they seemed to do whatever it took uh, to make sure that everyone was okay. And that's that's awesome. I actually heard from a separate point of view that the whole eulogy uh, being read by his son yeah. um, was probably one of the last great speeches mm-hmm. uh, that we've heard on TV in recent history. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I can get that. I mean, it's... I don't know. People matter, man. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show, mm. uh, we believe for a long time that people are paramount. People will always be paramount. Yes. Uh, their stories matter. Their yeah. stories are worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's very interesting that you're talking about sharing those stories and being accountable to each other in those stories. There's power in story. It's, it's, it's my story. You know, it, you might have a similar experience, but it's so personal because it's something I've lived and, um, everyone has a story. You know, if you're, if you're listening to this right now and you've, you believe that you don't matter, you believe that you're alone, you believe that no one cares. Um, they couldn't be further from the truth. You uniquely have a story and the more struggle you've, you've gone through, I'll tell you this, that struggle can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. You can actually help many, many people by sharing your struggles, but, um, you have to have the courage to share it. So, uh, you know, being able to be on, on this uh, podcast with you and to share my story and to share what we're doing. There's so many people that need to be your guests in future episodes. Yeah. We're not done yet. Don't get me wrong. No, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> to, I'm sure we're not even a quarter way through. No, we're, we might we're need a bathroom break. We're getting there. We might do a bathroom break if you need it. Um, one of the things that I think is very interesting is uh, the difference of struggles mm-hmm. uh, from generation to generation. So I look at uh, the older generations mm-hmm. and having a lot of self-confidence, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And they figure it out and they try to do that, whether that has to do with screens or not. Um, but one of the things that I see, uh, and some of this could be personal reflection. Uh, in preparing for this interview, I made a list of, uh, these are some of my own mental health struggles, or per, I call them perceived. Mm. Does that be an accurate thing that's, to say? That's fair. Well, self-diagnosed, self-diagnosed uh, mental health struggles, and some of the things that I came up with would be, uh, and this complete vulnerability here on my side, mm. um, acceptance mm-hmm. from others. And some of that could be spawned from social media age, uh, self-doubt and worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I really doing something that matters? Do I really matter? Yeah. Um, Creative confidence, being in that creative world. Am I producing something that people respond to? Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because you should just create to create. You shouldn't create for, for other people. Um, but it's it's a very vulnerable place. And then uh, pressure and anxiety management, I think, is a big deal mm. um, for people in my generation. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what in particular would you say, because that's most of our demographic here, mm-hmm. um, for people that, and I don't think I'm alone in half of those, no. specifically pressure and anxiety. I mean, Kids are being told, millennials are being told they'll never be able to afford to own a home. Yeah. They'll be strapped with college debt until they're 70. Yes. Uh, what, what would you say for some of those people? Well, you know, um, first of all, thank you for sharing those things about even yourself. Um, the, vul- the vulnerable state um, is such a precious thing to me because it's, it's, uh, it's a peak into the truth, right? You know, mm-hmm. we all put on a facade, you know, the, uh, and we do that for a lot of reasons, especially for involved in business or what have you. But um, I think those things that you shared are so common to most everybody now. Um, again, if one thing social media has taught us is that we're all screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, Although you might not know it. I mean, you look at some Instagram pages and it seems like everybody's got their stuff together. Yeah, but I think that's the indicator of that we're all screwed up because yeah. we never used to need to tell everybody that we're going to go to the fridge to get a beer. You know, we we never used to need to say, look at me, I finally went on a vacation and this is the vacation I'm, I'm on. Um, sure, we used to talk about it with people that were close to us, but it seems like now our insecurities are at such high levels that if we don't get enough likes, if we don't get enough views, um, our, our, our self-worth goes down in our minds. And, you know, I heard of a, a young lady that took her life last year in our community, um, because she wasn't, uh, getting the kind of responses from her social media world that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was spoken by her often to her parents 
but they never quite understood that it was to the core of her identity, the way that um, obviously her suicide um, made them to be more aware of. But um, I think that, uh, you know, we, we live in a hurt, hurtful world. We live in a world where um, the, the, the measuring stick, the ruler, if you will, it's pretty nebulous. Like what makes you a fantastic guy? You know, um, I could ask your wife that, and I bet it's a very different answer than what you might even have for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I could ask three of your friends, and that would be a different answer than your spouse. So who do we really care care about that cares about us? <laughs> like, you know, where are we really listening? Where's that measuring stick coming from? Um, jobs will come and go. But for us men, we believe in the measuring stick of the job more sometimes than we do in our spouses. Um, we don't often realize that a hug from our child um, should mean more to us than a bonus at the end of the year. You know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the work. And we'll take a break here in a second sure, to, sure. to throw some sponsors. But when we come back from that break, I want to go into that work. And, sure. Uh, just a recent conversation uh, that we've been having in our family um, about what it means to, to pursue a traditional five-year plan versus a uh, maybe not so traditional five-year plan yeah. in, in regards to mental health. So, yeah, sure. Uh, we'll be right back. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. So this is the time where we get to, you know, talk about our sponsors a little bit. And we just really want to thank uh, Sweetwater Sound uh, for all that they've done in donating this equipment. Um, you know, Chuck's a big supporter of the community here in Fort Wayne, and he does quite a bit, whether it be uh, the Clyde Theater, uh, really just pushing the music scene and the art scene. Um, so we can't do any of this. All of this setup here uh, from the microphones, the recorders is uh, thanks to Sweetwater Sound for um really just enabling us to to do this and to talk to people in the community. Um, also want to do huge shout outs to uh, everybody in their families, whether it's their spouses or uh, their jobs, uh, their kids that really uh, give them the time away to be able to talk and uh, have some of these conversations. I know Clinton's a, a father and a husband and he really, uh, he's a busy man. Um, and so for him to be able to have the time to come in an after hours scenario and spend time away from his family to talk about such a deep and important topic in our community means the world. Um, so don't forget to like, don't forget to subscribe, uh, to this podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Spotify. Um, we're really everywhere, uh, that you listen and consume podcasts. We're working on trying to get these onto YouTube with a visualizer. Uh, it's a little bit more hard uh, than you might think. Uh, but the reality is we're trying to really just get people's stories and get people's messages out, uh, for Fort Wayne. Uh, we love Fort Wayne. We love people and people will always be paramount. Uh, so we want to thank you for listening. And, uh, I guess that's kind of works for an ad spot. So I think that works for advertisement. I guess that'll work. The bathroom break. Yeah, you, let's see. You we legit get, thought we were finishing too. We get these old guests, you know, with small bladders. <laughs> seasoned, seasoned, that's seasoned. That's right. That's that's the term I try to use. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. And we're back. Uh, so, Clinton, one of the things that we were uh, discussing, uh, you know, you got to do the ad sponsor. Um, show yeah, some sweet sure. love. Oh, I get, uh, I get it. And some of those sponsors are, and I'm going to say it, are families. You know, allowing you to be away from the wife and the kids. So, mm. thank you to them no, so much. I will let them know. Um, but no, we were, uh, talking about a little bit work and, you know, the mentality of work, 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 get Mm -hmm. that bonus. And I think some of that's changed with generation to generations, you know, more people want vacation, more people want this, more people want that. Um, but one of the discussions I've been having as of late has been, what is it, instead of looking at what it looks like to make a five-year plan traditionally, Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, five years, I'd like to be a homeowner. I'd like to have all my debt paid off, um, whatever it might be. We've almost taken, our family has uh, more so gone the route of what does it look like to live a lifestyle of peace mm-hmm. uh, in five years? Mm-hmm. And what does it take to attain that? Um, sometimes the answer is, yeah, we got to pay off our debt. That's a big deal. Sure. Um, sometimes for cer- certain families, that's, we need space. You know, we're an expanding family. We need mm-hmm. a home. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, it's really been diving into that question. What does it look like to live a lifestyle of peace? And so I want to know some of your thoughts into uh, do you think that that's healthy? Do you think uh, that's something that uh, we should be doing as a culture, not necessarily valuing the bonus 
or even the the job title. Well, yeah, I think I think for sure. I think peace um, peace could also maybe be replaced with purpose to have be a, mm-hmm. a family or a couple of of purpose. Because if you're on purpose, if you're on mission, then you're going to feel fulfilled, satisfied, and you might not have the big house and the two cars, but you might have instead um, no regrets and that you're living your life to the full. Um, but I think um, I think it's going to change the American dream to a certain extent. I think I think that the future of our country isn't necessarily going to be based on. Uh, great wealth. Um, and I'm not saying that to be doom and gloom. I think the United States is a fantastic country. I've loved being able to raise my family here. I don't think it's doom and gloom. Um, but I think the reality is um, there's going to be a shift in what what makes people happy. Um, I, I hire employees and hire staff that take the nonprofit salary, not because they're desperate. In fact, there's a lot of people can get good jobs now because there's a lot of opportunity but people want to work with purpose and they want to work for something they believe in. And if they're going to roll out of bed every time uh, and go to work, they want to make sure they're going to do something that they feel good about. So I think, I think that's what you and your wife are dealing with is what does it look like for us to five, have a five-year plan where we didn't lose five years? Cause you know, everything's finite. You can't get it back. Time is the only thing that you can invest that actually has a return of satisfaction. It's interesting. You say you didn't lose five years mm-hmm. uh, and talk to more and more youth, more and more millennials. And it's, I want to, I want to wake up and have, like you said, wake up and have purpose mm-hmm. or what do you want to do for a living? What do you want your job to be? Mm-hmm. And the conversation has dramatically shifted from mm-hmm. even when I started college of, I want a job so I can, you know, have money and have security. Yep. 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 Um, and I don't know if the, the downturn in the economy back in 09 or anything like that, uh, caused that. But now it almost a hundred percent of the time seems to be, I want to do something with my life mm-hmm. and I don't want to feel like I wasted my life. Sure. There's still a lot of kids out there and I say kids cause I'm as old as the Hills, but there's still a lot <laughs> of kids still looking out, good. Thanks. That still want that money thing. But, um, but deep down you have these kind of conversations like you and I are having, you find out that what makes them tick or, or what I guess what keeps them up at night more is just all the insecurities and the struggles that you shared earlier. Just who am I? What makes me me? Can, what does success look like? Or I don't want to be a failure, you mm. know? So there's a huge difference between being a failure and being poor, mm-hmm. right? You can be, you can have little money and still be very successful, mm-hmm. but you can be a complete failure and be rich. Mm-hmm. So. so that's more of an intrinsic value thing. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. It's cool to see that some of the culture is going that way. I mean, I look at rappers, or <laughs> I just said that. Yeah, I look at rappers. <laughs> Never thought that'd come out of my mouth. You. Um, I see people in the Hollywood, you know, in New York, and some of these bigger cities that have a huge spotlight. And I see people like you've mentioned uh, off camera, The Rock, yeah. uh, coming forward talking authentically mm-hmm. about. And I feel like authentically gets thrown around uh, sure. a little flippantly, but, but just being transparent, being very transparent, or. Um, I'd even be curious as your opinion is to people like Logic mm-hmm. uh, throwing out, dedicating an entire song sure. uh, to the National Suicide Hotline. Yeah, I think with, with him, um, I do believe he genuinely struggles and I believe he genuinely cares about people that are caught in that, that, that crux of is it, is, is, am I done with this life I've been given? Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm careful. I'm so careful to paint everybody with the same brush because... You know, you got a Kanye who's on every late show out there talking about mental health and his bipolar. And I think he's also wanting to do all he can to get people talking. But let's be honest, he's a showman too. He's got a, he's got a brand, he's got a product. And part of his brand is appealing to a generation of people that say, I'm like Kanye because I also struggle. Mm-hmm. That's different than the person who says, I got, I'm motivated by The Rock's video on YouTube that helped me talk to my guidance counselor about my depression and suicidal thinking. There's a big difference in my opinion. So there's, I can see the stark contrast between say a Kanye and a, and a rock. Um, and I don't want to get into the whole celebrity. Yeah, sure. I mean, celebrities are out there. I'd I'd rather have these conversations that we're having. Um, but I look at a Kanye and I look at a rock, would you say that there's more power in somebody that's being positive or having, I don't want to use the term power of positivity, mm-hmm. um, but somebody who's really genuinely being a positive person uh, I think in their the, outlook at life, or do you think more accompl- can be accomplished through say a Kanye where, you know, Kanye is this 
international celebrity mm-hmm. um, and is just raising his voice as loud as he can. I think it's you, you hit it on the, the word genuine. Um, we were talking, I think, before we, we did the podcast about institutionalism and how institutionalistic um, promotion or marketing of mental health services flies over the head of almost every kid out there mm-hmm. um, or every person, to be honest. Um, it's grassroots connections and genuine conversations that change people's lives. And I think, I think that, it, you know, if, if, if Kanye um, were a little bit less, again, sensational with his brand, I think it might be a little bit more believable that he wants to help people that are struggling. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't. He, he, I'm sure he helps a lot of people. Um, but what I like about The Rock is, again, here, here's a, a behemoth of a man, a gigantic... <laughs> I think that's still an understatement. Oh, he's just, he's so large in every way, loved, really appreciated um, as a, not only an action star, but a comedian at times. And yet he didn't need, he didn't need help with his brand. He just decided one day enough's enough, I'm going to start talking about my depression. And it's it, he doesn't overuse it either. He doesn't ride it like a train. He just he made some YouTube videos, um, and he's talked in a number of articles about his struggles, so that um, one thing can happen, and you can see it in almost all of his videos, so that other people will start talking about their needs, mm-hmm. um, so that he can say, "If I struggle, anybody can struggle." Um, you think yeah. there's power in that? Somebody totally at a at a higher level, absolutely. But I, I think I think a higher level, but also. Um, um, not just a higher level because of celebrity fame, but uh, somebody who maybe doesn't um, get perceived by society as having someone that should have problems. I'll give you an example. Um, I was doing our Get School Tour, public school assemblies. Uh, we do them in schools all around Northeast Indiana. And I was on a stage and did my thing in a, in a fairly large high school, 2,000 kids. And um, I was done with second assembly and... Uh, cute little high school gal comes up on stage. Um, and I mean, from, from her, her, um, look, you would assume, you know, probably the lead cheerleader or whatever. Um, and she said, um, I'd like to share my story with, with the get school to her crew. And what she meant was that she'd like to, you know, share her story on camera so that we could use that to encourage other kids. Well, I don't, I didn't get into the conversation too deep there, but I set up a time with her and her mom to come by our studios. And I found out that the reason why she wants to do the video is because every time she opens up about her um, crippling anxiety, that was what she called it, mm-hmm. uh, people are so blown away that she struggles that they almost immediately start talking about their struggles and people get help. And she's realized that the packaging, if you will, is uh, speaks one message when when she opens her mouth, a completely different message comes out. So she's learned that the power of sharing her story and her struggle helps people. And I think we we all need to do that more. Like you, you have influence. Mm-hmm. You sharing what you shared here today. I have no doubt that someone's going to contact you and say, I really appreciate you shared that because I do too. I struggle there too. Um, that's just, I think that's just the beauty of being vulnerable is that there's always people listening to say, are you genuine? Are you mm-hmm. real? Are you the real deal? And um, that's what I want on my tombstone. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to like me, but he sure was the real deal. You know, like he came across as being honest about things. So let me ask you this real deal, um, being in the industry that you're in, nonprofit, dealing with, I'm not even going to say dealing, uh, dancing around this topic. Uh, what are some of the, the things that you've experienced, whether it be anxiety or mental mm-hmm. health struggles? Because uh, yeah. I'm sure it's a different flavor when you're in it day in, day out. Sure. Yeah, I, I would say that I've struggled with depression most of my life, but I want to be very, I want to honor that word because depression for me would be four, five days. And, and then I change my eating habits or my sleeping habits, or I talk again to my buddy, Derek, or I have an incredible relationship with my wife and she's been so gracious to accept me just as I am and give me the encouragement when I need it. Um, ironically, uh, this last year, I had to have my first surgery. Um, I had back problems, and um, I didn't realize I was walking around with two herniated discs. Oh, found wow. myself getting surgery, and um, had to be placed on opiate-based painkillers. And um, I'm a former addict, so I went in with eyes wide open and pretty aware, but got addicted. 
pretty quickly wow. to it. And, um, and this is a leader of an organization. This is a leader of an organization that helps kids that struggle with things like addiction. So, um, I've, I've, I made a, uh, you know, it was not a hard decision for me to say, I'm going to be clear with everybody I know that loves me. I have a lot of people that pray for me and support me within our church community. And I want to just say, Hey, I'm dealing with this. In fact, I broke down in tears one day at church because of the addiction, because I was coming off of them and my body was in withdrawal. And, um, um, in my, in my emotion, in my tears, you know, I scared a lot of people, but I've had people come to me since then and say, thank you. Cause I've been there with painkillers. It's a common thing. So, uh, I tell you this story because, um, after I finally got off these opiates and by no means, um, when I use the word addiction, um, I was, you know, for, for four months using these painkillers. So I wasn't on it for very long and, uh, I was able to get control of it because I was open and honest about what they were doing to my body. Mm-hmm. But once I got off of them, um, ironically, I am now struggling with social anxiety. Um, so even coming to see you tonight, as I drove over here, something is happening within my chest that never happened before. I, I've, I have um, spoken to 50,000 people in one place before, many times, actually. Um, I used to travel with festivals and sp- travel all across the country and... I've spoken to more kids than I can even count. But since my surgery, since this addiction, since this issue with opiates, now my brain has a struggle with anxiety. Um, I talk about it. Um, I'm very open about it because I want people to know, first of all, that that's got power. But second of all, talking about it allows me to be able to walk on those stages better uh, mm-hmm. and not worry about it. Because I think if I kept it isolated... I might have a panic attack, and I haven't had one yet. So wow. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm, I'm even pretty, in just driving over here. You think you would have a, a not, potential not panic with, attack? Not with that, not with this. But I'm talking about when I know I'm going to walk on stage in front of three thousand okay. people. Okay. Yeah, I think I would if I hadn't have been so open about it. Because um, now I walk out of there saying um, I can do this, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I never needed to do that before. So again, if nothing else, this is an example of how in our lives things change. Uh, and we have to be willing to change with those things. And uh, the key is always, in my opinion, to be genuine. Mm-hmm. I would agree 100%. Um, one of the things that led to, I think, me being able to discuss and be genuine about the topic wasn't, it was this weird thing going on in my head of, and please understand everybody listening in the correct way, um, I can understand how somebody can get to a mental state. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm at that mental state. Sure. And I think that was a big thing for me to be able to know and understand, to start mm-hmm. having conversations with people. And it's like, just because I say something and I'm genuine about, I understand how I can look at life through this lens mm-hmm. or through this perspective and arrive at this place doesn't yeah. mean that I actually am. Yeah. But it still facilitates the opportunity for me to be able to talk about that with people. Sure. Well, and that only just affirms that you care. <laughs> right. You know, and... Man, honestly, I just, I hope to see more people in the city, specifically Fort Wayne. That's where our heart's at, uh, to just care about each other. I, mm-hmm. I see uh, individuals around town, um, whether they're working at, working at Bravas or working at Sweetwater or mm-hmm. any, any company, any organization here in town, um, religious, non-religious. I'd, I'd love to see more people genuinely care without the corporate uh, yeah. facade. Yeah, yeah. No strings attached, right? Wouldn't that be a fantastic place to live where... You know, people just truly cared. And I think there are those people out there. And so um, those that are listening that are those kinds of of catalytic people, just know, I love the movie Pay It Forward, I just know that mm-hmm. your kindness done to somebody is going to help model what it looks like for someone else to do that too. Yes. So let me ask you, this is probably a good segue into this. Um, what If you could see Fort Wayne, what is your vision? What is your hope uh, for the city of Fort Wayne? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even need to be in regards to mental health. I would assume that it is, mm-hmm. um, but it, as you see the city continue to grow, you've lived here a while, I've lived here a while, mm-hmm. uh, what is your hope for the city at large? Well, it is a very unique city. Um, I, I call it the biggest small town I've ever lived in. Uh, and I've known many of the leaders that have made this city the great city it is, and from politicians to entrepreneurs, uh, people that you know, people that we admire. Um, but as they get older, what I'm excited about is that there is a growing interest um, through different programs, different strategies to make sure that the generation after them um, are getting 
um, the encouragement, the uh, investment, uh, the time, the mentoring needed to be able to, to carry that baton of creativity and entrepreneurship. So from a business side, I think we've got great days ahead. I see a lot of very creative people going into the business world and doing what they uniquely do. It's not always the same um, factory style of entrepreneurship. Sometimes it's just a small little business, but it's, again, it's about purpose, right? It's about Mm -hmm. doing what you love to do. Um, So I'm excited about that. But I also see um, that we've got a unique place here in Fort Wayne with, with uh, just an opportunity um, to change the way we talk about uh, things like uh, uh, racial diversity, things like uh, socioeconomic diversity. Um, We, we have a very uh, challenging situation with the amount of homicides we've got in our city especially among the southeast side of Fort Wayne, which I'm extremely passionate about. I not only uh, attend church on the southeast side of the city, but I've been involved in a lot of leadership roles in that part of the world. And I hope um, that in these next 10 years, we are going to see more young men and women come out of southeast Fort Wayne, given the skills, given the leadership ability to be able to change and give a voice, uh, again, that genuine voice of what it looks like for us to be the kind of community that finds relational solutions, not programmatic government solutions, but relational solutions to be able to change um, our communities, whether that be um, you know, people doing more to reach out to those that are struggling with addictions or mental health, like we're talking about here today, or just practically um, raising up uh, kids through mentoring and developing uh, students. And um, as an example, it's a it's probably a, a bad example, but um, I look forward to every year uh, being a, a basketball coach in the same league because it gives me a chance with my son to meet a lot of young men that we probably otherwise wouldn't get a chance to get to know. And when we go to their homes and we have them in our home, um, that dream becomes a little bit more realistic. And then when I bump into those kids in other environments, whether it's speaking in their school or whether it's bumping into them at the mall, it's wonderful to see how they've made progress because somebody believed in them. And uh, uh, I think it comes again back to that genuine, let's have real conversations, even with kids. Mm-hmm. Let's have real conversations about what it must be like to to not know where your dad is or to not know what it's like to be able to find... Um, you know, Christmas presents this year. Um, those are the kinds of, of genuine conversations that that um, I think we need to be having with with everybody at this time of year, especially as we think about uh, just what it looks like for us to live our lives in in such a purposeful way. That's awesome. Uh, I love that, man. I mean, I, I don't really have anything to top that or just add to that. <laughs> I think it's plenty. Yeah, we sure we sure could use more of these types of dialogues. And so maybe we should just replicate this in every, every conversation we have for the next week. You know, I think, I think this would be a, I feel like it's something that should be said and I feel like it's something that should be done. Um, and right now in the podcast, this can be edited out later if you decide to disagree off mm-hmm. camera and off record. Um, I, th- I think there should, we should make this open, this podcast, uh, whether it's th- with you having conversation, with myself having conversation, uh, anybody that is struggling or having um, mental health uh, questions, concerns, or uh, more so, at least from our perspective at Tastemakers, uh, if there's any business leaders out there, if there's any uh, community influencers mm-hmm. and other leaders out there that want to have these conversations and be vulnerable and be open, um, I don't know if I'd challenge or encourage, uh, but we'd be open to having those conversations 100%. Absolutely. And be would. absolutely flexible. Yeah, and I would I would top it. I would put another you know, level of ante on there that um, to be a guest on your show and to have honest conversations about their struggles so that they can be uh, similar to what we talked about with The Rock. They can be a catalytic leader that helps others be vulnerable and real so that together as a community we're stronger. Mm-hmm. The irony, it's a paradox really, you know, we've, we as men, especially, we believe that if we build our little kingdoms, we're better for it, right? And the truth of it is that the, the people that build their little kingdoms um, often feel like they're alone in their little ivory tower versus what we really need to do is build um, the kind of world where we're all part of, of this community. And so I would challenge, to your point, I would challenge anybody that knows that they have a story, and maybe they've not talked about it very much, but that they would share that story so that 
in that vulnerability and that transparency, they're stronger as a leader in our in our world and helping other young men and women know that their 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 story can be told too and that we're stronger together. So if you are a leader of some sort, even if you have a story that you feel would be impactful um, and you're willing to come on and share it and record and uh, put it out for, for everybody to hear, that might sound daunting. It's really not. Uh, it's pretty easy to come mm-hmm. in and start talking as soon as the headphones go on. Yes. Um, Plus you, you, you'll provide drinks, which I've, <laughs> I've, I've only enjoyed water tonight, but you offered me a whole lot more. Um, if, if you do want to come on, if you do want to talk about uh, mental health or share some of the struggles and uh, really use your story to impact the lives of others, uh, I can be reached, Jim, at tastemakerscreative.com. Mm-hmm. Um, Clinton, you can call through Remedy. Yeah, you can. Uh, well, the, the beauty of our conversation is that you can reach me at any contact link on remedylive.com. Um, you can email me at cfoppel or, or F-O-P, F as in Fred, O-P at remedylive.com. You can also get me there. That's easier. But um, it would I would miss the point if I didn't say that our 24-7 chat center is available to anybody listening. And that's young and seasoned. Any, anybody. Anybody of any age. Um, and it's pretty simple. If you text the number 494949, there is someone available 24 hours a day. And we're a listening organization. We're not counselors, so you're not going to get a bill. Um, it's free service. We're just absolutely there to be free. free. Yeah, absolutely free. Yeah. Now we're always looking for sponsors. So anyways, <laughs> out there, you know, hey. But the point is, is that if you're struggling, um, uh, we would we would want you to know that we're available 24 hours a day. That's awesome. And that number again is four nine four nine four nine. I had to keep it easy for my own my own memorization. You can text that number. Is there a phone number if somebody's feeling like they want to call? Well, we actually don't do any voice calls. Um, everything we do is through text and, and web chat. Um, but we do have great friends uh, in the community. So if you're wanting to text in, we can give you some great resources. I would make a shameless plug for our friends at lookupindiana.org. Mm-hmm. That's a great website that's got a ton. All you got to do is type your zip code in and they list you all kinds of different people that you could call. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our case, we're just trying to be a text message away. That's awesome. So again, you can reach me, Jim, at tastemakerscreative.com. Uh, you can reach Clinton at any of the Remedy Live links. And if you truly are struggling and need somebody to talk to or chat with, uh, we'd encourage you. I know Clinton would encourage you on a personal and I'm even going to say the word authentic level. There you go. Uh, text 494949. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does go a long way and, uh, people genuinely do care. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, an encouragement to everybody in the community, especially if you're an influencer or a leader, yeah. uh, we'd love to talk to you about, um, and share your story. Yeah. So Clinton, thanks again for being on and give me some of your time. Absolutely. I know you're a busy man, family man, businessman, <laughs> everything in between. Uh, it's been a blast. Thank you. Well, uh, these kinds of things are such an important, I, I talked about time earlier, I consider these last uh, few hours with you an investment, and I'm expecting a return on that investment. I mm-hmm. expect people's lives to be either improved or changed, um, and nothing I do, I hope, is by accident. So thank you for having me. That's awesome. People are always paramount, and you're people, man. Yeah. So I love it. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.